Hi, my name is Michael Waits, and we are back on India Game Changer. Today we have Ravi Jatani, a co-founder at Counting Well with us. Ravi, thank you so much for coming on the show. And before we jump into the main part of today's conversation, let's give our listeners a little bit of your background for some context. Thanks, Michael. Uh, much appreciated to have me here on the show. Thank you. My name is Ravi. I'm co-founder of Counting Well. It's a maths learning platform for middle school students. A bit about my background. I've been born, brought up in Northeast, a state called Assam. I uh, grew up there. I did my schooling in Hyderabad, went to Delhi for my college, did a couple of years uh, in IT consulting, Okay. and then uh, went abroad for around 15 years. Oh, wow. Worked in uh, Nairobi, Dubai, in a couple of private equity firms, mostly impact funds, which kind of shaped a lot of my thinking on what, you know, how important it is to kind of give back to the society yeah. from where you have taken a lot. And probably you know, a natural outcome of that has been counting well. Can I ask what it was like to live and work in Nairobi? Not a lot of people that I know have actually done that. And it's fascinating, particularly in the context of what's going on in that part of the world now, right? Yeah, I think, look, uh, I mean, the uh, there's a lot of apprehensions about, you know, going, living, working in Africa. Back in the day uh, when I decided to make a switch to move to Nairobi, a lot of my colleagues were moving to the U.S. for similar kind of roles and positions. And they were like, hey, are you crazy? <laughs> and you're like, yes, I am. But that's why I'm going to be way more successful than you. It's the craziness that makes me successful. Go ahead. Yeah. So I said, look, uh, the kind of exposure and in my mind, it was the kind of exposure I'll get there is going to be tremendous. Absolutely. And it turned out to be true. And coming back to your question, living in Nairobi, I think surprisingly, Nairobi is a very, very cosmopolitan city. It has it has a very good mix of uh, Asians, Europeans, the uh, local Kenyans, and, uh, you know, talking, interacting to them, you feel that they are so, so, so well aware, well-educated, you know, they articulate things so well. And an average Joe in the street, uh, you know, can have a conversation with you on topics which will amaze you. I mean, I mean, just a small incident, right? First time I land in Nairobi, it's early morning, 6 a.m. Uh, I take a, you know, one of those taxis to take a ride to the hotel. Yeah. And the taxi driver, uh, you know, he's asking me, hey, uh, you're from India. I said, yeah. And his first question is, what's the average GDP per capita in India? And I'm like, that just woke me up, right? I mean, who expects such kind of conversation? But this is the point that I really want to make, is that it doesn't matter where you go in the world, right? When you get right down to it and talk to the people that live in that country, in that city, in that town... They're just as interested in the rest of the world. They're just as informed as you are. And yeah, it does surprise us sometimes. But the more people that do what you do and go to the place that nobody else goes, the more you can bring back stories to people that weren't, and I'm putting it as quotes, in quotes, as crazy as you were, and let them know you missed out on an opportunity because you wanted to go to this very well-developed, very well-known place. I went to the place that nobody else goes. This is the road less taken, and that's the best way to live. Anyway, I interrupted you. 
I uh, no no fair point. I totally agree to that. I mean, uh, uh, probably yeah. I mean, at that time it it sounded a bit crazy, but once you went there, lived there, uh, you know, made friends. I think it was amazing. I mean, it's that just that you know, if right now I'm in Bangalore, and if I if I look at probably in terms of weather, in terms of you know the vibe, Nairobi is as good as Bangalore. I mean, just probably infrastructure wise, a few years behind, but you know, all said and done, given a chance, I would go back to Nairobi. Yeah, I mean, Africa rising. There are one point something billion people on the continent, 50 something countries. In a way, it's like a microcosm of India, which is also one point something billion people, 50 states, and 51 states, right? It's really interesting. And in the same way, every Indian city is different from the one even 100 kilometers to 200 kilometers away from it. And in that sense, absolutely. it kind of looks like Africa to a certain extent. Yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about what brought you home, right? After being away for so long, what was the pull to come back to India? And what were some of the things that you said you learned from being in an impact fund that you wanted to transfer back? Look, uh, I think coming back to India was very natural to me. I mean, to me, even though I was staying out of India, I never really moved mentally outside India. I was still in India. Fair enough. And also, I think kind of places I stayed, I didn't go into the heart of West, you know, where the lifestyle is very different. You know, I was in Nairobi, I was in Dubai, and these right. places seem like extension of India. In a way, you know, right. you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, I never felt I was actually living outside of India uh, unless uh, at once a month when I would get the paycheck. That's the only day I felt I was outside India. <laughs> I won't even ask you what that means. That's really funny, though. Yeah. So to me, coming back was natural. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, family uh, played right. a big role in it. But also, I think uh, to me, a large part of it was that working in Impact Fund, I saw society in a different way. I realized how capital, how smart capital, how technology can transform societies, yeah. right? And how it can uh, help people elevate from their levels to a different level and you really see the you know impact uh, it has on people on the ground i mean yes on the paper everybody can create impact but when you are in a place like nairobi and you kind of go and visit some of the companies uh, you know where capital has been deployed and you right. see how it's not cha- it's kind of you know impacting the entire ecosystem yeah, and it's weird, right? Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And then you look at the world through a completely different lens, yes? Exactly. So at the back of my mind was, hey, you know what? I need to kind of give back to the society. But my personal experience is also kind of, you know, as a child growing up, uh, when I was in school, uh, part of the uh, Indian education system, maths was something that I was very good in the classroom setting but never really translated into good marks, right? And uh, I realized that, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong, which nobody's able to pinpoint, hey, this is what you're doing wrong, right? So uh, to me, uh, all of this started coming together. When I was in Dubai in 2014, I did my executive MBA at INSEAD. That also kind of, you know, uh, we had a class of around uh, people from 20 different nationalities, uh, the firms that I worked in, you know, had similar kind of mix of people. 
so all of it really you know came together and i said one way to give back and be a part of that is you know kind of get into education and maths being such a structured subject uh, and it's a life skill so how could you kind of bring it all together and create a platform for kids to understand you know better and kill that phobia of maths which is big i mean not just in india globally everywhere i want to talk a little bit about math and math education just in the public schools at least my experience i loved math like you did and it was again one of these things where once you saw like how it could work you could never unsee it and you see it everywhere right and we can we can right. talk about that too in a second but i do remember plenty of the kids in my calculus class in high school all of whom were really smart way smarter than i was would constantly ask the teacher, like, okay, I understand how to do derivative equations, but when am I ever going to use this? Like, why do I even right. need to know this, right? Right. And I think that the way math is taught, at least I'm probably 25 or 30 years older than you are, right? But at least math, the way it was taught for, to me, what it didn't make it seem useful, which is sad because math to me is like music. Right. It's not invented. It's discovered. Just think about this, right? Like, there are many places in nature, I mean, all of nature's math at some level, but where the math just exists, right? Pi is the perfect example of this, right? It just exists in nature. We just had to figure it out so that then we could figure out how to calculate the circumference of a circle and the area of a circle and all this other stuff. But once you see it, it's there. So I agree with you. It's like the most impactful thing you'll have in your world. It is a life skill and everybody should know how to do math better than they do because it'll change the way they look at the world. Talk to me about the founding of Counting Well who you work with to found it, and then what the like short to medium term to long term goals are for building this because it's really important, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, uh, just to reflect upon uh, what you were just talking, right? Fundamentally, I realized that that when math is being taught in the classrooms, there's a huge emphasis on calculations only. You're just taught, hey, you know, how to multiply, how to add, how to divide, but not necessarily, uh, as you rightly said, taught on how it is applied in real life. Yeah. Right. And I'll give you a very simple example that kind of, you know, set the foundations for counting well. So this is back in 2018, 19, we were just conceiving counting well. Uh, you know, and uh, one of the theses we had is, look, calculation is something that kids are very smart at. They know how to calculate, right? But I think the problem is not calculation. The problem is beyond that. Do they understand the context? Do they have comprehension cap uh, uh, abilities to understand what is needed? And uh, a simple example, right? This is 11-year-olds, uh, grade 6 students. We did a, a kind of an experiment where we asked uh, around uh, 1,000 kids in different uh, setups, what is 768 divided by 8, right? Simple. What is 768 divided by 8? And we got 90% of the students got it right. Right. Now we asked something same in a slightly different. We asked them, there are 768 students in a school. One out of eight have a computer at home. How many of them have computers at home? Right. Right. And suddenly the numbers fell drastically. Right. 12, but uh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's effectively the same calculation. Yeah. But uh, they couldn't figure it. Right. Because uh, language is still 
a big a big barrier which uh, you know you might find it strange that how is language a barrier when it comes to maths but that's how it is that's the fact yeah right so i think uh, there are a lot of other factors that come into play right and so hence we took a kind of a skill based approach to learning maths and i think uh, we have kind of been successful i mean we're getting a lot of love from the parents from the students from the teachers uh, in the way we are approaching this problem can i tell you a funny story right please 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 so i have very similar feelings to you about mathematics i think about it a lot as a matter of fact i can't stop my brain from calculating things if i see like six dots in a row and five dots going down i just think 30 i just you know what i mean i just that's just what my brain does without me even thinking about it yeah when my daughter was 14 or 15 years old she was in high school here in um in bangkok and i was always trying to implore her to understand exactly the point you're making that math is everywhere and if you know how to use it your life is just so much better and I gave her the example of going to a restaurant. I think you'll find this quite funny, actually. And I said, look, you always you want, need to make sure you have enough money by knowing what you're buying and then what the other fees and what the taxes is on top of it. And she was like, okay, no problem. You know, kind of dismissed me, although she did well in school. Yeah, very well. One day she called me from a restaurant in the mall here. And she's like, Michael, I, I don't have enough money to pay for this. And I said to her, like, we talked about this, right? If you know what you buy and you you just calculate the tax on top of it, you should have enough money. So I get there and I just said it to her again. And she said, I didn't know there was a service charge. So she was basically saying to me, <laughs> I knew how to do it and I did it right, but I didn't know there was this extra thing. So it's very funny, but I think you're right. If you teach people in the right way how to do it, they'll always do it. Tell me how Counting Well works. We have seen a huge boom in tech pre-COVID, during COVID, right? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, you've had a lot of success stories from India when it comes to EdTech globally, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, globally successful stories. But I think one common thread among them have been, they've all been very consumer-centric. That means uh, I'm talking of in the K-12 segment, in the school segment, a lot of the solutions, the likes of Baiju's and, uh, you know, uh, all of them have been hugely successful, but they have developed solutions for the consumer directly, for the student directly. Got it. Right? I would say where how the first generation tech players kind of focused on and looked at solving the problem. Right? Now, what we felt is that as we were conceiving counting well, as we were going through the journey, that if we want to create the impact the kind of impact that we want to create, right. I think we need to build a solution that works not just for the student, but teachers also have to benefit out of it. Yeah, so you're flipping it upside down, right? Yeah, because you see, ultimately, if you look at the education system in India and parts of you know developing world, emerging world, everywhere, most of the industries are not data-driven, but schools are still not data-driven. They're still driven by hunch, by experience, by, you know, what we wanted to do was kind of create a platform where we empower the teacher with data for better decision making, number one. And at the same time, you know, kind of create a personalized learning environment for the student. So, and that's how we kind of build a platform that gives uh, the teacher the tools to make their learning 
or teaching more effective in the classroom setting. Yeah, this is such a great idea. Now that you're saying it, I hadn't thought about it before, but you're right. And again, I'm going on my own experience, which is slightly older, but still the teacher would be in front of the class teaching the same exact thing to the same 25 or 30 kids without knowing who in the class specifically. I'm sure they'll grade the tests and stuff, but even when they're grading the test, there's not enough data retained for them to understand where they're falling down and where they're not falling down. And it should inform how the teachers teach as well. If it makes a better manager to have more data for the people that he employs or she employs, then it has to make a teacher better in the same situation to have more data so they can teach better. But also, like you said, personalize and customize. Like, oh, maybe Bobby didn't get this one part clearly because he's missing it here. And then focus on that for him. This is a killer idea, no? Absolutely. A lot of us are used to assessments in the classroom, which are assessments of learning that they assess you just to grade you or pass you or fail you. Yeah. But what we are doing is assessment for learning. That means assessments to identify gaps in learning and then use that to kind of further develop remedial plans. So it's not necessarily, you know, just to say, hey, you know, you are great. It is to give that environment to figure out, you know, where, as you rightly said, where is Bobby lacking? Where is Ravi lacking? Can I create, uh, you know, two or three cohorts and based on that kind of do personalization? Yeah. I mean, I've always thought you want to teach kids how to learn and frankly, adults as well. You want to teach people how to learn. The right. facts are, you're kind of indifferent to the facts. And in the same way, you're kind of indifferent to the calculations. You just want to teach them how they can learn. And if data informs that, the learning is going to have to be so much better. I'm really curious what the revelation was for you and your team, right? Because it is upside down from what from the way most stuff gets taught, right? right? And the second thing is, what was the reaction from the teachers in the school systems when you said, this may be a better idea? What we have seen, there has been a massive cultural change post-COVID, one is working for us, one is kind of going against us, right? What's working for us is suddenly the teachers got used to technology during the COVID world. They don't have the technology phobia that they had probably, you know, right. pre-COVID, right. right? So one, the willingness to adopt is very high. And when they see a platform like this, the initial reaction is, wow, I love it. <laughs> yeah, because it helps them so much, right? Right. But on the other hand, there was so much of exposure for the children on technology side with the mobile apps and, you know, tabs. And so there has been some restraint by the parents. I don't want the kids to get exposed to, uh, I want just them to go out and play rather than learn on a tab or a platform. Right. So I think it's an interesting position to be. And I think, uh, you know, we'll kind of working our way through navigating those challenges to solve it. So the yeah, the reaction has been very good. I mean, teachers love it. Uh, I think it's uh, just a matter of figuring out how to scale it and make it work. What is the status of the business right now? When you said it was founded, what, in 2018? What's the status of it now? Like, and how do you see it growing? So it was not founded in 2018. Uh, 18, 19, 20 is when we were kind of uh, doing a lot of experiments, making sure that, you know, are we building something right, talking to people. So we first came to market in 2021. So it's been a couple of years now. I would not say 
we are where we wanted or where we had envisioned ourselves to be. We never uh, have there yet. have been yeah there have been a lot of challenges and learning as we go along. But uh, I think my state of my reading of the situation right now is that we have got a good product uh, and we are taking the school route, going to the schools, approaching them rather than taking the B2C route. We are going uh, B2B right now, considering what the market uh, you know, sentiment is. At a certain section of schools, they are loving what we do and would want to adopt it, right? What we are still trying to figure out is how do we scale this? I mean, uh, it's currently a lot of feet on the ground model where you have to go knock at the school, show them the product, get through a pilot and all of that. It's a process, right? We still need to figure out how do we kind of short circuit this and scale this. It, look, it's a common problem. You're dealing with an institution at scale that is very conservative and and frankly should be, right? They shouldn't be making massive changes every day in the way that things get taught. It's a long game and it should be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a I mean, if I have to uh, uh, put an outside of you, I would say it's a very boring business, but. <laughs> I mean, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, think about it. If yeah. you weren't educated, you couldn't be doing any of the things you're doing today, right? So it needs to be just like foundationally conservative because you don't want sort of insanity to happen inside of schools. But on the other hand, you do want there to be progress because as the rest of society is progressing, it should try to keep up. It's just hard, right? So it's a long game, but it's a game definitely worth doing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your day to day like when you're running your own company? I worked at big corporations for most of my life and I'm running my own company now. I mean, it's growing nicely and everything's okay, right? But it's still a completely different lifestyle, right? Like I, I was literally up at five o'clock this morning because I had a seven o'clock call and I'll be up until like 11 o'clock at night because I've got a call with London and New York. I'm curious what your day-to-day -day is like. Look, uh, I think it's very different from the corporate life. Currently, uh, you know, my day-to-day -day is many ways you know, I kind of get to choose what I want to do and when, yeah. right? But also a lot of time it's driven by, you know, there's a lot of firefighting to be done. For sure. All through the day, right? <laughs> so typically, you know, I'm an early riser. Uh, I go to bed early. I rise early. You know, I have a 10-year-old son. Mornings times, I like to spend some time with him, help him get ready, drop him to the, you know, there's a school bus pickup. Nice. I drop him there. And then I like to play in the mornings. So either it's a uh, badminton or squash. So one hour of that uh, early in the morning, uh, get that out of the way, light breakfast. And I usually start work between 9 and 9.30. How good is your squash game? I would say intermediate. <laughs> <laughs> Right? It's one so, of my favorite sports. I love playing squash. It's really great. Most people don't ever get experience exposed to squash, right? Right. But once you start playing, it's addicting. It's like just one more game, okay? Kind of thing yes. when you're in the box, yes. yeah? Yeah, yeah. And this is, this is I picked up in Nairobi, so. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. I love it. You, are you teaching your son how to play? Uh, no, he is more into soccer right now, football and cricket. At some point, someone's going to have to explain cricket to me. We'll chat about it at some point. <laughs> if not, that will hijack this conversation. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it will. I saw one of the... 
I let me just say that I I worked in the in an office in Hong Kong for Goldman Sachs, and let's just say that two of the biggest cricket loving countries in the world were represented inside that office without saying who they were. Let's just say that the managing director in the office was from the smaller country, and that one of the mid level guys was from the bigger country. When the cricket match between those two countries was on, it was almost like there was no managing director and there was no there was no level because they were really going at it. The cricket following is like it's a different level completely. Absolutely, you know I can relate to that. Having worked in Dubai, I was in a similar situation, so I can totally relate what you are talking about. Even if I don't have to name the countries, exactly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's obvious. It's pretty obvious, particularly to you and me. Right. So, like, what have you learned along the way, and where do you see counting well going? If you could predict where it was going to be in five years, right? We talked about it being a long game. Tell me where you think it goes and, and the impact you think it's going to have. Definitely, I think it's a long game. Uh, I think what I've realized is the education space, you will start seeing the power of compounding, uh, you know, as you go along. It's not instant. It's not e-commerce, no. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so you have to be patient, number one. What we are working on and what we are developing is a global opportunity. It's not just a India opportunity. Yeah, not right? at all. It's a global opportunity for sure. Go ahead. Sorry. It's a global opportunity. The way we have built it and match is global, you know, similar kind of problems everywhere. I see this us definitely going out outside India once we have got some credibility within India. So, you know, Middle East is a natural extension. Yeah. Parts of Africa is natural and, you know, look to even go towards the US and Europe at some point. So I definitely see that as a way forward for us as we kind of, you know, grow counting well, number one. Number two, another uh, insight that we have figured out as we uh, have gone through and interacted with multiple parents, kids, you know, Parents don't necessarily get excited by the fact that, hey, you know, I'll make your child good at math. That's fine. Uh, they think probably the school will do that job, that school's responsibility, right. uh, you know, not much. But the moment I kind of link it to a larger career aspiration, that's when it gets excited. Yeah. We did an experiment where we packaged some maths concepts in a course called financial literacy for kids where we were teaching the maths around savings, interest, all of this, but bundled it in a different, and suddenly we saw a lot of parents are wanting to kind of enroll for that course. Exactly. Right? So, so I think what we have learned uh, along the way is that, you know, then it needs to be packaged and marketed much better uh, and linked to a larger career aspirational. So make it an aspirational offering. Right. And that's when people relate to it. So and it kind of boils back to the conversation that we were having earlier that what is the application of it? Right. How do I use this? So I think the moment we are able to do that and tell the parent, because ultimately you see the parent is also part of the same system. Even exactly. they don't know where it is used and how it's used. Right. So the moment we create applications and say, you know, this is where it, it's used and this is how it will help your child as they, you know, step into the big bad world after their education. That's when it starts kind of relating to them. And Robbie, that is the best way to end this conversation. Robbie Chitani, co-founder of Accounting Well. This is really important stuff you're working on. Keep going. 
really good stuff, man. Thank you. Thanks. Much appreciated, Mike.